All right. So on your last normal day, normal day, so like think of your last work day maybe, um, or your last normal day, not necessarily the weekend days, uh, what did you do? What did you start out doing? What did you, what was the first thing you do when you, or what was the first thing you did when you woke up? All right. Because here's my guess. My guess is it was probably similar to the day before that, right? How many of this is true for you? So far, it's pretty routine. How how many of you wake up with an alarm? And how many of you wake up with an alarm about the same time every normal day? How many of you do not wake up with an alarm and you still wake up about the same time on a pretty normal day? Yeah, so this is what happens, right? As you start to think about your routine in the day and you think about what you did when you first woke up and as, you, as the day goes, goes on, it was probably similar to the things that you did the day before. You get out of bed with an alarm or with a knot. Uh, some of you, the first thing you do, you go to the bathroom, right? If, if that's not what you do, then you go get a cup of coffee first, right? Uh, some of you grab your phone and you immediately look at social media or maybe you read the verse for the day, right? You check your email, you, you read your Bible, you go make coffee, you eat breakfast, you, you pack a lunch, you take a shower, you get dressed, you drive to work and you work all day, right? And so that's your routine. That's what you do every day. Maybe, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, right? And, and you deserve a raise, by the way. But maybe, maybe you wake up and you have to wake up your kids and you get your kids ready for school and you want to get them out the door without trying to inflict harm on them. It's kind of your first objective for the day. And then you get home and you go home the same route that you took the day before and, and uh, you almost don't remember stopping at the stoplight, right? Because it's so routine, you just keep going, you do it, and it's just what you do. It's your routine. You go home, you, you maybe eat dinner, maybe you veg out and you watch Netflix, or you watch the three shows on prime time, and you just do your routine, and then you give the kids a bath, you put the kids to bed, and, and then you go to bed, and you start it all over again the next day, right? How many of you does it sound familiar? Or at least some variation of it. See, much of what we normally do isn't a result of conscious decisions. Much of what we normally do is a result of daily habits. As a matter of fact, Duke University told us this. Duke University says over 40% of the actions we do daily are not based on decision-making. We do them because they are just habits, and that's what we do, right? And it's interesting, if we want to change our lives, if we want to change the direction our lives are going, and if we want to change who we are becoming, then we need to change our habits. We need to change our habits. And so last week I mentioned a couple of books, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. This is what he says. He says, we actually have all the similar goals. We have all the same goals. None of us woke up on January 1st and said, my goal for 2020 is to increase my cholesterol drastically. We just don't do that. None of us woke up on January 1st, 2020 and said, my goal for this year is to incur $100,000 worth of debt because that sounds fun. Well, it could be fun, right? But typically we wake up and we say, this year I want to be more healthy. Uh, We wake up, we say, this year I want to be more debt-free, right? And it's just what we normally do. So we all have similar goals, but we have very different results to those goals. And what James Clear says is goals don't determine success. So goals don't determine success. Systems 
determine success. And so it's the systems that we have in place. Our systems are perfectly designed to give us the results that we are getting. As a matter of fact, what he says, his quote is, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. Now, I like that, right? And so we're going to look today at systems maybe from a biblical perspective. That's my goal anyway. And we're going to look at a guy today who I mentioned last Sunday who had a system. He had one habit that he did consistently that shaped him to become the man that God wanted him to become. And who I'm talking about is Daniel. Daniel is a powerful example of a powerful system. And maybe you grew up in the church going to Sunday school and you heard the lesson taught about Daniel and the lion's den, right? And that's pretty impressive. And what happens, we're going to look at this, what happens is Daniel gets thrown in a den of lions and God protects him and he is able to come out of that den of lions alive and able to talk about it. That's pretty impressive and maybe you don't know much about Daniel. We're going to look at this here in just a moment. But what's more impressive to me than the fact that Daniel was thrown in a den of lions and survived it to talk about it is that he was a leader among 120 other leaders. And Daniel was able to rise to the top somehow and become one of the great leaders of the nation who answered directly to the king, King Darius. How did he do it? That's the question. How did he rise to the top? How did he become the cream of the crop of the 120 chosen leaders and and people among the nation How did he do it? How did he stand at the top among all of them? And so let's journey down that road. Daniel chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. Otherwise, it'll be on the screens here. This is what it says. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one of them. So there's 120 leaders, and then there's three leaders of leaders, and Daniel is one of them, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king wouldn't lose any of his kingdom, right? That's what the king's doing. He's trying to create a system. And then verse 3 says this. Then this Daniel, he became, what? Distinguished above all the other high officials and above all the other satraps. Because an excellent spirit was in him. That's what the ESV says. The NIV says because he had exceptional qualities. Exceptional qualities. And the the king planned to set him over the entire, what is it? Kingdom. Right? So here he is. Here's Daniel. He's rising to the top. Why did he stand out? Why did he rise to the top? What is it that made him who he was? Was he just an exceptional leader? Was he just great at administration and organization? Was he just a relational giant who who figured it all out? There was something in Daniel's life that made him stand out among all the others at the top. Before we ask that answer that question, I think what we need to do is look at his habit. As Daniel rose over the kingdom, there were probably some in that 120 group of people who didn't really care for the way he was rising to the top. I mean, this happens in your own workplaces, does it not? I mean, you get a promotion and and other guys in your your company or whatever or in your warehouse, or they're all right there too, and and they're wondering, why'd he get it and not me? He started rising to the top. There's what do we call it, jealousy? 
that kind of happens. And so, so imagine that Daniel, Daniel, as he's rising to the top here, these other guys are like, hold on a second. I'm just as qualified. I'm just as good. I'm just a leader. I'm an administrator. I'm an organizer. I'm relational just like he is. What's going on? And what they do is Daniel's enemies decide to try and take him down. They examine his life and they look for weakness and they look for flaws and they look for dishonesty. They look for anything that they might be able to take him down with. Look at verse 4. It says this, And then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, how he's managing things, how he's doing the king's business. And it says this, But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And I hope if there's ever a Bible verse written about me that that could be it, right? Right? If you know me well, you know that's not my case yet. All right? Yeah, I'm in process. There is a day that this will be complete. But here's the deal. They couldn't find anything. They realized the only way to take him down was, was to do something about his God. That's what they figured out. The guy is so into his God that the only way to trip him up, the only way to find a flaw, the only way to do anything about him, to take him down and take him out, was to do something about his God. Look at verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law to his God. So listen to what they did. These high officials and the satraps, they came by agreement to the king, and they said to him, O king Darius, live forever, O mighty king. You are the best king. You're the mighty king. You're a king, 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 king. Right? And all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and should enforce an injunction. And here it is, that whoever makes petition to any God or any man for 30 days, except to you, almighty king, live forever king, wow king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the documents. Here, we've done it all for you. All you've got to do is put your seal on it and sign that baby, and it's, it's done. So it cannot be changed according to the law. It cannot be revoked. It cannot be taken away. Nobody can change it. And so King Darius, what did he do? He signed the document, right? He just did. And so you see what's happening here, right? Again, out of the 120 leaders in the land, Daniel rose to the top. What was it that made him rise to the top? It seems to be an answer to our question. It really does. And it has to do with his system. It has to do with his habits. It has to do with his routine. It has to do with what he's doing. Or, or a better way to say it, it has to do with a very small habit that helped give him the confidence about who God made him to be. It was a small habit that reinforced him daily who he was serving and who he was not serving. So look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and three times a day he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had previously done before. Did you hear this? Three times a day, every day, 
Daniel goes up into his room and he gets down on his knees and he prays and he gives thanks to God. What did Daniel do? Not once, not twice, but three times. He got down on his knees and he gave thanks to God and he, help me out, prayed. And he didn't do it when it was convenient and he didn't do it when it was easy. He just did it. He didn't do it after he vegged on Netflix or watched the three shows on primetime. He just did it. And what did he do every day, three times a day? Daniel stopped and he sought God. He listened to God. He brought his burdens before God. He petitioned to God. He let God direct his thoughts and he let God direct his life. Three times a day, Daniel prioritized, as he had done the day before, an intimate time with God. Do you see this? What did Daniel do? He lived a habit. He lived a system, one small discipline that began having effects in his entire life. It began changing his entire life. And so when the king says, you can pray to no God except to me, the king, Daniel just does what Daniel does. It's his routine. It's his habit. We can never underestimate how God can start something big through something so small. That's what we're talking about today. Sometimes we think, man, you know what? There's 15 things I want to accomplish this year, and they're all this big, and I'm going to just put them down on my New Year's resolutions, and then by February 14th, they're gone. What I want to suppose, what I want to, what I, what I want to propose to you today is that you consider one small habit change that can then have an effect and change your entire life. See, God loves, God loves this. He, he is in the business of taking small acts of faithfulness and doing something big with it. And I imagine that if you evaluate your life and if you look at the successes in your life, you can go all the way back to when that success was realized and it was probably realized when you started doing one simple, small thing. And look where it got you. Now here's the trick. The habits work the other way too. Right? Maybe your life is a wreck, and you can probably go back and think, there's this one simple, small thing that I started doing that started to build up, and it's affected every area of my life, and now my life is absolutely a disaster. And so this is how habits work. God loves, though, when we take these small things. He loves doing something big with it. Evaluate your life, and you'll find some God-honoring habits, and over time, it began changing who you are. Hear this. Part of the reason I wanted to avoid this sermon series is because there's some habits I have that I need to change. All right? And when I preach it, I really do try to do it. I've given myself an exception in the month of January 2020. All right? So uh, just do as I say. It's not acceptable, is it? I was afraid you guys would not go with that. Here's what I want to do, though. I want to share with you personally ways God has shaped and changed my life by doing some small things for God that God began using to change me drastically. It was about 20 years ago, actually, next month, that I started tithing for the first time. Now, tithing wasn't tithing like a 10%, but I decided to give $5 a week. And I did that consistently, regularly. Um, part of it is I was getting ready to start a job at a church, and if we were going to ask people to give money, I felt like, well, at least if I work at a church, I should probably do what I'm asking 
people to do. So it was a little bit out of guilt, but I just started giving $5 a week, and that's what I did. And, and, then, and then I decided, you know what? I really want to strive to do this 10% thing. I want to try it. And so I started building. I took a small step, and I started adding to that on, on a regular basis. And, and then when I moved here and, and started working here as an associate youth pastor, I went to the finance office. I said, could you just deduct mine from the check? Because if I get it, I just want to make sure you get it. Right? I, I took small steps to get there. And I would tell you this over the years that Sarah and I are now, we're, we're tithing people. We, we just do it. We, it just happens. It's just a normal thing that just, it's automatic. Here's how it's changed my life. I have a desire to live simple. So, so we just decide to try to live a simple life. Because too often when it comes to finances, we have these complex lives, and guess what? It's overwhelming. We watch people drown trying to pay for the house and the boat and the college and the motorcycle and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, and the. Do you know any of those people? And, and man, I just want enough to be enough. But I take it back to that $5 a week. It began changing how I look at the world, how I look at how I want to live, how, how I look at generosity, how I look at compassion. It was $5 a week that began changing a whole bunch in my life. There was a point in time, even as a pastor, that, that I didn't read the Bible regularly. All right? And I tell you that to make the rest of you who struggle with that to feel good too. All right? But I knew that I wanted to do that because every time I engaged with Scripture, man, sometimes I can't get enough of it because I'm like, just this week, looking at Daniel. Wait till you see this, right? Baby Daniel was more about a habit and a discipline and a system than he was about being saved in the lion's den. Maybe that's what the lesson is for us. Man, sitting there and reading it over and over and over. So you know what I decided to do? I, I didn't commit, hey, you know what? In 2011, I'm going to read the entire Bible. Because guess what? January 2nd was a real challenge. That's the day you go back to work. I did great on the first. But then life happens on the second. And, and reading what you had to read, like 16 chapters to be able to read it in a year, became really overwhelming. And I said, thank you, God, for the Version Bible app. It gives me a verse a day. And so I committed that every day that year, you know what I would do? I would begin reading a verse a day. And what's happened is I'm engaging with Scripture more than I've ever engaged with Scripture. A few years ago, I decided to eliminate soda from my diet. All right? I just did because every time I drank pop, it either made me go like that or, or sluggish like like this. And so for me, I said, I'm just, I should drink water and lots of coffee, right? God's gift to man, coffee. <laughs> and I love people who amen that. That's good. <laughs> I was asked last week if there would be coffee in heaven. I went, duh. All right. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, where was I? Thanks for the distraction, guys, right? But it, so now I have an occasional soda where Sarah will have her Dr. Pepper. She likes Dr. Pepper. And I'll take a sip of her Dr. Pepper and I'm like, Wah! because it's so overwhelming to me. And again, if you're soda drinkers, I'm not telling you to stop. I'm just telling you for me, that's one of the disciplines I had to do. Um, there was a point in time when I wouldn't get up when my alarm went off. And so I went to Walmart and I bought one of those old alarm clocks that goes, you know what I mean? 
and I got a pan and I put it by the door of my bedroom. This was before I was married. All right. She appreciates that. And I would set the alarm and I'd put it in that pan. And so at seven o'clock when it went, it was like, I, we should try it here sometime. All right. If your kids have a hard time, because their kids aren't here, right? Yeah. If your kids have a hard time waking up in the morning, use this, right? It gets your blood pressure going so high that you can't fall back to sleep, okay? But that's what I did, and I had to do a small thing so that I could create a discipline so when my alarm goes off, I'll actually get up, right? And, and so there's another thing I've done. I wanted to have more of a consistent prayer life. And so I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to correlate a number, and I'm going to pray for a person attached to that number. So my wife's birthday is December 23rd. When I see the number 23, I pray for her. Tucker's birthday is on October 18th, and when I see the number 18, I pray for him. Eli's is the 14th of October, and when I see the number 14, I pray for him. My mother-in-law's is the 14th. My mom's is the 4th. Right? And so you can catch on, and I can tell. And, and the other thing it does for me, it helps me remember their birthdays. <laughs> so I got a double whammy right there. And so this weekend, we're looking at the church financials, and I'm doing a lot of praying, not because the financials are bad, but because, or, or good, because there's a bunch of numbers there, and I'm just committed to praying for people when I see these numbers. And, and it was a great thing for me. A few years ago, we did Rooted as a staff. We piloted it, and I went through week five, and I'm in the middle of strongholds, and I'm realizing I'm believing some lies about my life that are not God truths. And I decided I had to replace some of those lies with his truth, and so every morning, every morning, I tell myself two truths, and I make sure I tell myself those truths every morning because throughout the day, I may be tempted to believe the lie. And so I declare the truth when I wake up. And I do a lot of these things now without even thinking about it. And according to Charles Duhigg, the author of The Power of Habit, he calls these keystone habits. Keystone habits are small changes or habits that people introduce into their routines that unintentionally start to carry over into other aspects of their lives. And so keystone habits create a domino effect, if you will, into every aspect of your life so that your life can be better. And understand that keystone habits can be good or bad. And this year, there's some things that I want to change in my life. And, and what I'm trying to do in this habit series is I want to be really vulnerable with you, right? Research says that when we document our food, we're more wise about what we choose to eat. And so I'm trying every time I eat to write down what I've eaten because I also want to be honest and I don't want to write down things that I shouldn't have eaten. And so it's an accountability system that I've created for myself. I want to be more conscientious. I want to be cautious of what I want to... I want, I want, to be better at this. And so I need to create a very small habit in my life that will have a domino effect, hopefully, in other aspects of my life. Daniel had a keystone habit. When he walked in, he saw the city, he opened his window, whatever it was, he got down on his knees, and what did he do? He thanked God and he prayed. He thanked God and he prayed three times a day. The presence of one solid habit began to affect maybe every area of his life, which is what rose him to the top. Now listen, it drives my wife crazy. She was in first service. You can interview her. You can ask her, and she'll tell you. I'm a person of habit. I'm a person of routine. I like my routines. 
I just do. And so it drives her crazy, but I have a routine. I actually have a life of habits. Every morning, I take a shower. I just do. I have to. And the first thing I do is I wash my hair. And I always wash my hair first. And then I wash my face. And the second thing I always do is wash my face. And then the third thing I do is I wash my body from the top to the bottom. Here's why. Because I'm convicted that if I start with the feet up, then when I wash my hair, it'll dirty my body again. All right? Now, I have issues. I have issues. I understand that. You don't have to tell me that. She reminds me every day, okay? And so I have issues. And then, and then when I'm done taking a shower, I dry my body off. And then when I get out of the shower, I comb my hair. And then once I've combed my hair, I brush my teeth. And then I apply deodorant. And then I get dressed. And I do it that way every single morning. I just do. She says, why can't you cut something out? Oh, no. She says, why can't you speed up? Because you can't change the routine. It's just what I do. Now, there have been times, you know, you come to an all-church cleanup day, right? And so I brush my teeth. And then I put grungies on and I come and we help rake leaves or pour bark dust or whatever it is that we might do. And then I go home and guess what? My routine kicks in. And even though I've already brushed my teeth as a part of the routine, I have to brush my teeth again. So if I end up taking two showers a day, I'm probably brushing my teeth four or five times. Why? Because it's a part of the routine. I can't not do it. Here's why I do it this way. Because I like to think of myself as a disciplined person. And so when I execute my routine, it makes me feel disciplined, which empowers me to feel disciplined in other areas of my life. It begins to have an effect in my life and in other areas of my life. And, and because if I, break, if I break any of these routines, and this is just true, and you just have to trust me in this, if I break any of these routines, my day tanks. If I wash my body first and my hair last, my day is ruined. If I put deodorant on before I brush my teeth, my day is tanked, it's ruined, I can't handle it, and I have a bad day, and then I become unproductive that day, therefore I don't get things done, and then I am late, and then on the way home that evening, because I'm late, I have to rush home, and on the way home, I'm speeding, and a cop pulls me over, and I decide that I'm going to not get a ticket, and so I try to run from the police, and down the road, seven police capture me, put me in the back of the car, and lock me in jail. All because I put deodorant on before I brush my teeth. And I'm kind of kidding, but not really. One small habit can change so much. And Daniel was set apart because he chose to have an intimate relationship with God regularly and daily, three times a day. And so last week, here it is practical for us, all right? Don't be crazy like me. There's one note, but here it is. Last year I said, let's start 2020 with a who goal. Who do I want to become? Who do I want to become? Not a what goal, 
but a who goal. Who is it that God wants me to become? Who do I want to become this year? And sometimes we answer that question. I want to be a better spouse. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better mom. I want to be clean and sober. I want to be healthy. I want to, a who goal, not a what goal. Who do I want to become? And then based on who you want to become, what we need to do this week is we need to pick one small habit that I can start. One simple, small habit. It doesn't have to be big. Maybe I just decide, you know what? I'm not going to push the snooze button because when I push the snooze button, it causes my morning to be slower than I want. Maybe it's, you know what? I'm going to read a Bible verse before I look at Instagram when I wake up in the morning. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's, you know what? It doesn't have to be big. It can be small. Maybe it's, you know what? I want to be somebody who cares. And so I'm going to write appreciation card every, five times a week. Five different days a week. Maybe it's that I want to be a person who's organized. And so uh, to be an organized person, what does an organized person do? An organized person probably makes their bed every day. And so I'm going to make my bed every day. Uh, maybe it's, you know what, I want to be a better godly example to my teen. And so maybe it's you read the Bible together every day. Maybe it's that I want to be a person who's more focused because my day just runs ragged. And so maybe what you need to do is you need to pick three goals, three things, three tasks that you want to accomplish every day. And before you go to bed, you complete them. So that you can be more focused. Maybe you want to be a healthier person so you can eliminate soft drinks from your diet. But based on who you want to become, what is one small habit that you can start doing that will help you become the person you want to become? And so I want to help you in creating a new habit. And these are based on a couple of the books that I've already mentioned, Atomic Habits and The Power of Habit. Uh, good, Good Habits, Bad Habits is another good book. But here it is. How do you create a new habit? Well, you have to create a system. You have to create a system. We all have systems. Some of you might think, I don't have a system. No, you have a system. Maybe you have a system you don't like. Maybe your system is we push the snooze button. We run out of the house rushing. We're always late where we're going, yelling at the kids on the way to get there. Right? And then at the end of the day, we come home, and I always cook, and nobody helps with the dishes. Right? I mean, it goes on, right? And then we fight with the kids and you know, putting them bath time and getting them to bed. And by the time that's over, I'm just exhausted, so I veg, watching whatever season of whatever on Netflix repeatedly. That's a system. It's a system. Whatever you're doing in your life is a system, whether you're doing it intentionally or by default. And some systems are what I just described, while other systems are different. So these books talk about what's called the habit loop. There's a habit loop where there's a trigger or a cue, right? And the trigger, the cue is, hey, my alarm just went up. That means I'm going to immediately read my verse for the day, and then I'm going to get in the shower, and I'm going to do it just like Pastor Tom does it, all right? Because his way, man, that's pretty incredible, okay? And so... There's a trigger, there's a cue, there's something happening. And here's the other way it works, right? There's a trigger, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, and I walk through the staff kitchen, and there's a big chocolate cake, and so I eat half of it. I feel good, right? So that's, that's also one. But the other one, can, we want to be good. So, so there's a trigger, and there's a cue, there's an action or a routine, and then there's this reward concept. We see something, we feel something, we go do the same action, and the action gives us some sense of satisfaction, whether it's real or not. And then guess what? It starts over and over and over. Can you identify one of these in your life, good or bad? Most of us can. This is how habits are formed. 
How do we start a new habit? Well, we want to create a trigger. We want to create a cue. We want to be intentional about creating a trigger or a cue, right? And then the action is the thing that we want to accomplish, the thing that we want to do. Now, here's the deal. The system has to have two more things. And the first thing is this. To create a system, you want to make it really obvious. And do yourself a favor and make it obvious. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe you're somebody who says, I really need to start taking vitamins. And I just can't remember to take them in the morning. So guess what? Before you go to bed that night, get your vitamins out, put them next to your bed, get a glass of water, so that when you get up in the morning, the first thing you see are the vitamins and you take them. You want to create a cue. You want to create a trigger. I see them, therefore I should take them. Are you guys with me here? Like, this is, this is pretty easy, right? Maybe you think, you know, I want to read more, and, and the best time to read is before I go to bed, but I can never remember, and once I get into bed, I just don't want to do it. So you know what you do? You get up in the morning, you make your bed, and on your pillow, before you leave, what do you leave there? Your book. Make it obvious to yourself. Maybe you're somebody who wants to write a note, and so you think, you know what, I want to write a note every day in my company or in my business or, or in the work that I do. And, and so before you leave at the end of the day, guess what you want to do? You want to leave a note or a card and an envelope and a stamp and a pen on your desk. So when you come in in the morning, guess what's there? The card. Guess what you do? You write it. See, this is the truth. If we want to change what we do, we need to change what we see. If we want to change what we do, we have to put something else in front of us so that we see it. That's what I'm suggesting. Make it obvious. So in creating the new system, you want to make the, the new system obvious. The second thing that, that you want to do in creating the new system is you want to make it easy. Make it easy. Don't commit. If you've never read through the Bible, don't commit to reading through the Bible this year. I know. I just said that. But start reading a verse a day. And don't commit to giving 10% of your income to the church if you've not given at all. Start by maybe giving $5 a week. Pick a number, any number, and use that number as a trigger to pray for somebody that you care about. Just, just do it. You want to journal? Journal one sentence that just says, this is how I saw God working today. You want to be buffer? Do one push-up. Do 10 push-ups. Because here's the deal. We don't lack motivation. We lack a system. It's not the system that we lack. It's, or it's not the motivation that we lack. It's the system that we lack. And so here's, here's the magic sentence in creating a new system. Are you ready? I will do blank after I blank. So I don't know for sure, but when I read Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, there's this thing about the window. And I'm like, maybe the window was his trigger. Maybe the window was his cue that when he walked into his house, he wanted to see the sunlight, and so he opened the window. And when he opened the window, what did he do? He got on his knees, he thanked God, and he prayed. And for some reason, maybe he did that three times a day. I don't know that for sure. That would be really cool if that's the case. But maybe, maybe that's what it was. Maybe when he looked out at the city, his heart was overwhelmed for the city, and the only thing he knew to do was to get on his knees, thank God, and pray. But what he did is he created a system. I will do blank after I blank. 
Maybe Daniel said, I will pray after I wake up. I will pray after I eat lunch. I will pray when I get ready for bed. Maybe, maybe when all of those triggers or those cues were, he did it, that's what he did. For us, it might be after I make my coffee, I will read a Bible verse. After I put my kids to bed, I will do one push-up, right? After I brush my teeth, I will journal one sentence. After I journal one sentence, I will pray. And so the magic question in trying to develop a new system is I will do blank after I blank. What's something you do every day? And attach that new habit to it. Successful people, Craig Rochelle says, do consistently what other people do occasionally. There you go. Here's the last thing I want to leave you. Last two weeks, we've talked a lot about goals. There's some trick about goals. Goals are really a means to an end. What I mean by that is I want to do this so that I can do this so that I can do this. And the way you know if you have a mean goal, and I'm not talking about like a terrible, uh, frustrated, harsh, angry goal. I'm talking about mathematical means, right? A means to an end type of goal is if there's a so attached to it. I want good grades, so... I can get a scholarship so I can go to a good college, so I can get a degree, so I can get a good job, so I could ask her out on a date, so I could ask her to marry me, so I can buy a house, so I can get the boat and the motorcycle and the car and then the kids because it doesn't work the other way around. So we can raise our kids, help them go to good schools with a good degree, so they, and then so I can retire and live happily ever after. Do you see how far that is before you're finally satisfied and content and fulfilled and like joyful? And so that's one of the problems with all of our goals. Our goals are so many, so many of them are attached to these so's. And what I want you to hear today, simply put, is that so goals, or a means to an end type of goal, what it really means is that your happiness or your fulfillment or your contentment and your joy, it's deferred to the future. It's deferred. And what I've realized is there really is only one end goal, and I'm just going to try to pass this on to you. There's really one end goal that I found, and it's not a what And it's not a so, it's a who goal. And the only end goal that seems to matter is this. Am I actually becoming more like Jesus? Am I actually becoming more like Jesus? As this this becomes a driving force of our life, then success ends up being something out there. That's what goals do. Success can happen by being faithful, and success can happen by being obedient. It can happen by surrendering to Jesus today. Am I successful because I honor God today? And if this is not our ultimate goal, then we're going to continually and constantly be striving to grab for things that will meet some sort of satisfaction, some sort of joy, some sort of fulfillment, because my joy and my fulfillment and all of that's been delayed until the kids are gone and the house is empty, and then that's really not fulfilling either. So I want to challenge you today, today, and every day. Make it your goal to honor 
God. Make it your goal to become more like Jesus. And start something today that will help you become that. There's this great verse in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. It says, do not despise these small things, for the Lord rejoices to see work begin. And do something small. Start something small. Commit to finding out what you can do that's small. It's obvious and it's easy to help you become more like Jesus. N.T. Wright says this, forget happiness. Forget happiness. You are called to a throne. How will you prepare for it? And think about that small thing that you can do, that you can begin, that will help you honor God today and become more like Jesus today as we sing this song.